Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. While you're turning there, let me say this. A lot of times we pray and we're praying and, and, and God will answer and it's a tremendous answer and sometimes we forget. I want to tell you, I'm glad to see the boxes here today. A lot of prayer has been offered for them. Glad that you are here in our service today. I know that we are in the end times, and we can make a list and, 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 and things that the Bible's pointed out. Let me just tell you, I know, I am certain that we are in the last days. Listen to me very carefully. I fully expect that at any time, and I mean at any time, any second probably of any day coming up, uh, there could be a shout. There could be the voice of an archangel. The trumpet of God is going to sound and Christ himself is going to descend. The Bible says we who are alive will be caught up together with Jesus in the clouds. I believe it. I, I truly believe it. I believe. I know we are in the last days. How do I know? Facebook. Second Timothy, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he is encouraging him, and he is instructing him, and, and Paul says to Timothy, the word of God says this, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be posers. That This is where our hope is at. It's the, the pride of our life, lovers of money. They will be boastful arrogant, ungrateful, unholy, malicious gossips, conceited. I don't know, that sounds a lot like Facebook. Isn't that our day? Now be sure today and hear me, Facebook is not the problem. Facebook is a symptom of the problem, and that is this. We for sure live in the age, and I mean more than probably any other age, we live in the age of self-promotion. We live in the age of look at me, look at me. We live in the age of, of I am great, I am so great, I'm for sure greater than all of y'all, I'm better than all of y'all. Look, look at our athletes today. Remember when you could score a touchdown and set the ball in and go back out? Remember when you could make a tackle and they would know by the hit that that was a tackle and you could go back to the huddle? Now we have to do all of these things. I'm great. I'm great, and for sure I'm better than all of y'all. Think about our culture today. The greatest thing that you could be in our culture today, and this is how we're raising our kids, is not a thinker, it's not a producer, it's not a person of great character, some, some person of great character. The greatest thing that you can be in our culture today is known. The greatest thing you can be is an actor or a politician or an athlete. The greatest thing that we could ever aspire to be and look at our, our kids in the world that we're in, the greatest thing that you would aspire to be today is famous. We want to be known. Best I can tell, there's a whole tribe of people famous today for nothing else than being famous. They're called Kardashians. Haven't done anything haven't built anything, as far as I can tell, have no talent that I can see, 
They're just simply famous for being famous. That's a whole new, a whole new culture in our world, just famous for being famous. I think I'm going to make that one of my words and say, oh, that's, that's so Kardashian of you. <laughs> we live in the age of self-promotion. See this today. It's pretty awesome. And it does not reconcile with being a follower of Jesus Christ. Today, our message is entitled, So You Want to Be Great, Do You? We're in Luke chapter 22, today verses 23 through 27. Moving again verse by verse through the gospel of Luke today, Luke chapter 22, verses 23 through 27. So you want to be great, do you? I'm going to ask if you'll stand in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 23, it says this. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who is going to do this thing. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And I'm thankful for the Savior of your word, Jesus. Thankful for the hope that we have secure in him today, that, that through his blood we're saved, we're forgiven, that he stands again to stand in our defense. Lord, we praise the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come and we're thankful for so many things. We're thankful for your character, your grace, your love, your power, your holiness, your justice. Lord, we're thankful for the grace that you've given us in a church where we can praise you together, where we can serve the cause of Christ together. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that, that you also in this time would speak to your people, that you would lead your people, that we would be trained today, convicted today, led today at the voice of God himself. Lord, we tell you again how much we love you. We do worship you. We do praise you. We ask now that for any in this service, Lord, that do not know you, I pray that, that everything would point them to Christ. The, the songs that we've already sung have pointed them to Christ. The, the gospel preached would lead them to Christ. And that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for us as believers, again, that we would leave this room changed. Most of all, we would leave this room in awe of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it is interesting preaching through, a, through an entire book of the Bible. It's interesting as we, as we travel, especially through the, the gospel account of, of Luke, uh, how some things become evident and things that, that started in the end, how they again resurface as we, as we travel through the verses. And really, we see the, the full picture of the gospel developing. Well, maybe you have noticed as we've traveled these, these, these days that our gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, our gospel is really an upside-down 
gospel. Really, it is a backwards gospel. It is a, an ironic gospel. Think about that for a second. In our gospel, death is what brings life. Now, how absurd is that? Death is really what defeats death. It is an upside-down gospel. In our gospel, what appears to be defeat, a shed blood, a, a cruel cross there, a brutal cross at Calvary, what appears to be defeat is actually what secures the victory. It is an upside-down gospel. In our gospel, our God is just. He is totally, he is fully just, and yet he exhibits great grace and mercy to us. Now, our God is great in his grace and mercy, and yet he remains perfect in his justness. Listen, that is an unexpected gospel. That is an upside-down gospel. The gospel we follow is an upside-down gospel. Well, today, it continues. Today, we see in our verses in the economy of Jesus Christ, if you want to be great in his cause, if you want to have a great impact for his namesake, you have to be the least. Again, we see it as an upside-down gospel. Let's go very quickly this morning to our verses, starting here in verse 23. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Now, remember the context here. Jesus and his disciples have just observed the last Passover meal. That's our preceding set of verses. They have observed this last Passover meal, and at the same time, Jesus has just instituted the very first Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. And so it is a very profound event. They observe the last Passover, and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper for the church. Again, a very pr profound event. Well, at this meal... There in the borrowed upper room, Jesus has just told them, there is one here whose hand, one whose hand is at this table with my hand who will betray me. Now remember that word betray in that context meant to give over from close beside. It means to be betrayed from somebody very close to you. Now, now, verse 23 says that they began to discuss among themselves which one of them this must be. Now, I want you to think about the scene. They have just observed the Passover. Jesus has just instituted the Lord's Supper. He has told them that a hand that is at this table, one of these hands will betray me. Now, to one of them there, Judas it was no surprise. Now, it was probably a surprise that he was called out, but it was no surprise to him that one of them had betrayed Christ. But imagine the surprise of the others there at the table. One of us here will betray the Lord. Not somebody out there, not, not one of these enemies of the Lord, somebody at this table, maybe somebody to your right, Maybe somebody to your left, somebody at this table will betray the Lord. 
And so it's probably pretty natural a discussion springs up, who could it be? And if you ever picture a situation or been in a situation like that, your mind starts to run wild. But I remember you. <laughs> I remember what you did in the past. Well, I remember how you looked back then, and maybe it's you, and maybe I think it might be you. And the discussion ensues there at the table which one it could be. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who is going to do this thing. Then verse 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Arose means came to be. It welled up. And so there also came to be. There also welled up. It says a dispute. The word for dispute there means strife or contention. And so now this table that had, had just instituted the Lord's Supper, had just seen the, the, the Passover observed, there is now dissension at the table. There is strife at the table. I think it's interesting. The Greek root of that word means a love for strife has welled up at the table. A, a, a love for contention has welled up at the table. Now think about that for just a second. For some folks, isn't it natural to have to poke somebody? Isn't it natural to have to stir the pot a little bit? Thanksgiving wouldn't be fun if somebody didn't do that. Isn't it natural to, to, to lack a little bit of contention in the air? And so you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to start a dispute here at the table. Well, it says a love for strife has arisen at the table. It is welled up at the table. An argument brews as to which one was recognized as the greatest. Now see how this happens and see how crazy this is. Jesus has told them again of a coming kingdom. He'd been telling them that. He tells them at this dinner, I'll not do this again until my kingdom comes. He has told them again of his coming kingdom. Well, upon hearing of his coming kingdom, their, their natural response is to wonder, well, who will be the greatest in that kingdom? Lord, we believe you. There's, there's coming a kingdom. We want to know who, who are going to have the, the spots of honor in that kingdom, who are going to be the ones that have authority in that kingdom. And really, they're, they're thinking to themselves, surely after all that I've done, surely after all that I have seen, it's going to be me. Surely having left it all and sacrificed for the cause, it's going to be me. Now, the issue is really not only who's going to be the greatest then, but really it's tied to who's the greatest now. You see, the logic of their mind would be, well, surely the one that's the greatest now is going to be the greatest one then. And so the question is even deeper than that. Who's the greatest of all time? Who is the greatest now? Because surely as we move into the new kingdom, I will be the greatest there as well. It goes from talking about who will betray to this strife over who is the greatest. Now, what's crazy about that is this. They have already, like that, they have already glossed over the truth that a kingdom is coming. Yes, surely a certain kingdom is coming, but it's coming in suffering. 
just ahead of that. It's coming, and it's going to come, and a body's going to be given to secure it. A blood is going to pour out. A blood is going to be shed to secure it, and it's not going to be their blood. It's going to be that of the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Jesus is saying, there is a kingdom coming, but it's going to come, and it's going to come in my body given. It's going to come in my blood poured out. He is telling them there, his suffering is soon. His body is about to be given. His blood is about to be shed. Yes, there's a kingdom coming, but it's coming at a supreme cost. Yes, there's a a kingdom coming, but it's going to come at the ultimate price. And he's saying he himself will pay that price. He will suffer and die. That's really what he's just told them. This This is my body given for you. This is my blood the blood of the new covenant given for you. He has told them there is a kingdom coming, but I am gonna secure it in my own suffering. And in that moment, they begin to argue about who's the greatest. I have a friend who says, people, they're the worst, aren't they? Can you believe this? Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that response? Jesus says, I'll not drink it again until my kingdom comes, but before it comes, it's gonna come through suffering and I will give my body and I will shed my blood and their discussion is, well, who will be the greatest there? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that response? Here's the truth. We're not much different. Isn't that the truth? Here's the truth, left unchecked, we're pretty much the same, aren't we? Left to our own devices, well, who's gonna have the head spot? Who's gonna be the most honored? Maybe we wouldn't say it so so brashly, but aren't we really pretty much the same? Let me tell you, I believe these verses are here for us to be checked. I believe these verses are here to instruct us and, and maybe most likely to correct us today. Really, we're not that different from them. Verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Pretty awesome verses here. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. See this. Jesus' response, here they, here they go. Who is the greatest? Who's the greatest now? Who's gonna be the greatest then? And Jesus' response is this. The kings of the Gentiles, talking about the pagans, talking about the lost people. What, what he's saying is the world's kings, that's what the world's kings do. The world's kings, they lord it over their subjects. The world's kings, they display it. The world's kings, they have to exalt in it. I, I am the greatest. I am the king. I am the supreme one in the land. And the world's kings, they lord it over them. They make sure that they all know that it's not left a chance that they know I am the king. I am the greatest. See this. All right, I'm back. That's hard preaching when you blow a fuse that big. (laughs) 
He says, that's what the kings of the world do. That's what they do. They exalt themselves. They promote themselves. But notice this. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. I want you to see how crazy this is. That's what the world's kings do. He says, that's what the world does. And these kings that make sure that you know that they're the greatest, they are called benefactors. Now, benefactor is a title of honor. It means a doer of good, a bringer of good. Now, see the context here. These worldly kings as they lord themselves over the people, they are called doers of good. Do you see how ironic that is? These worldly kings who are exalting themselves, they are known as the doers, the bringers of good. They're honored as that. The picture is this. These kings, those of great position, they are the ones to be honored. I want you to see how this still applies. Those of great position, they are the ones to be revered. Those who everybody knows their name, those who would exalt themselves, they are the ones whose lives matter. Those who put themselves up and they march to the front of the line and they stand on the highest hill and they proclaim their own glory, those are the ones that are called bringers of good. I'll say this. This past week, our elections... My lands, didn't you get enough of that? I did vote. And I know why I voted and I know how I voted. I voted. But let me just tell you today, our hope is not in Washington, D.C. Our hope is not in a Congress, a Senate, a president. Our hope is not in Austin, not in a senator. And let me be very clear here. The greatest politician that we could ever muster up the greatest politician that we could produce out of this generation pales in comparison to the impact of the unheralded, faithful, steady servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus says these kings, they are honored as the bringers of good. They put you down. They, they lord over you and you call them good. The bringers of good. Verse 26. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. It starts off and it says, but there's a contrast. The kings of the world, they exalt themselves. The kings of the world, they're the ones whose lives are deemed as worthy. But, but it is not this way with you. But, here's the table. It is not this way with you. Let me get this ironed out. Self-promotion is not the way of Jesus Christ. Pride and braggadociousness do not reconcile with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Those are the systems of the lost world. Those are the ways of the lost world. It is not, those are not our ways as followers of Jesus Christ. Think again about the list that Paul gave Timothy. Lovers of self. Self-serving is what that literally means. Lovers of self. Listen, that's not of Christ. Lovers of money. That means their hope is in their money. They're sold out to the world system. Their hours are sent, spent speaking the th seeking the things of the world. That is not of Christ. Boastful, arrogant, 
promoting yourself, arrogant, holding yourself up as something that you're not. You're pretending you're a poser. Listen, that is the opposite of humility. Conceited, it literally translates puffed up. It literally translates blower of smoke, conceited. Malicious gossips, these are people who savagely use lies to tear another person down, to have no regard for them, to tear them down in the, in the desire to promote themselves, to lift themselves up. Listen, those are the things of the world. Those are the systems of the world. Those are the attributes of a lost world and they do not reconcile with a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, but it is not this way with you. It's not our way. But it is not this way with you. The kings of the world, those pagan kings, they exalt themselves, lording themselves over you. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest. Now understand, it's not talking about age here. It is talking about a hierarchy. In the Greek, it means inferior in rank. Jesus says this. It's not like that for us as disciples, for you as disciples, but here's how it is. The one who is the greatest, the one who would be the greatest, he must become the lowest ranking. That's what the word means, the lowest ranking. You want to be the greatest? You have to have the, the absolute lowest ranking. And the leader, like the servant. And the leader, like the servant. See something here. The word servant really changes everything here. The word servant here is the Greek word diakonia. Diakonia. It means this, one who serves. It is the root word that we get deacon from. Diakonis, deacon, one who serves. Diakonia, one who serves. In this context of this verse, it literally translates this. A slave who serves the guest. That's, that's how it's used here. It's used many times. How it is used here, a slave who serves the guest. Now, I want you to see with this, follow with me here, see this. This is not talking about some middle-class person. This is not talking about some lower-class person, but maybe still a guest at the dinner. This is talking about a slave who serves the guests. Listen, you're not part of the crowd. You're not part of the in crowd, but rather you are a slave who serves the guests. You're lower than everybody there. You're a slave who comes in service of the guests. Nobody, nobody is beneath you. You are a slave. You see, there's a difference in a servant and a slave. You see, sometimes we can be all right with serving, can't we? No, I, I can be all right with serving. Maybe, maybe there's some esteem in my serving. Maybe there's some notoriety in my servant. I can be all right. Oh, look at what a servant he is. Oh, look at what a servant she is. And it's okay sometimes to be a servant. There can be some esteem in being a servant. 
And we might say, you know what, I'm a leader in my serving. I've become a leader in my serving. I think it's funny, John Maxwell gets rich writing a bunch of books about being a servant leader. Friends, I want you to understand, this is not talking about a servant leader. This is talking about a slave leader. Now, what is the difference, you might ask? You see, a, a servant might get noticed, but for a slave, it's his duty. A servant might have some status in it. Oh, look at their service. A servant might find some status in it, but a slave has no rights. The servant might get tired one day and decide to stop. You know what? I've served and I've served faithfully and I've served. A servant might decide one day that they're going to stop. A slave is duty bound by the title that they hold. A servant might serve out of their own volition. You know what? It's pleasing to serve and it's pleasing to serve the king. A servant might serve out of their own volition. But listen, a slave doesn't have any choice because of his relationship to the master. He's a slave and doesn't have any choice. And Jesus says here to be the first, you're going to have to be last. He says to be the leader, you're going to have to take up as a slave. Pretty weird. All the titles we like to give ourselves as a Christian. Son or daughter of the most high, highly favored, highly blessed, child of the king. It's pretty interesting all the titles we like to give ourselves as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know over and over and over in the New Testament, Christian disciples are called slaves. Disciples are called bondservants, slaves. You ever notice that in the New Testament? Paul doesn't come and say, you know what, I'm the greatest here. He says, I'm a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And here, just before the cross, just before the mantle of the gospel is handed over to them, Jesus shows these disciples, if you're in it for your name, there's not gonna be one. If you're in it for your comfort, there may be none. If you're in it for your esteem, you'll be abandoned. You're gonna be forsaken. And if you're in it to be the greatest, it'll never come. Oh, but if you're here as a slave, if you're here as a bondservant, if you're here as a, in service to the master, it may be hard at times. It may be tough. It may be heartbreaking. But you will prevail because the master prevails. There's a difference in a servant and a slave. Verse 27 is a rhetorical question. Jesus says this. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves, the slave of the guest? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Jesus asked him a question. That's the world's way, guys. That's the world's system, guys. Surely it's the big deal to sit at the table and to sit in the seats of honor. That's the ways of the world. But I am among you as the one who serves. Talk about upside down. 
Talk about upside down. Talk about a backwards gospel. Jesus, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Jesus, the greatest of all time. No one ever higher than Jesus. He says, I'm here and the way of the world will be to sit in the seat of honor and to be exalted. But he says, I am among you as the one who serves a slave. What is the point to all of this? What's the point to these verses? Thought about that. What's the point to this? Folks, Jesus is showing us here. Before he himself stands up and walks to the cross of Calvary, before he himself sheds his blood for the remission of sinners, not of any sin of his own, before he goes to secure the redemption of mankind, before he stands up with his dinner with his friends, his disciples, before he stands up and goes to the cross, he tells them and he makes sure they know there may be a day as my disciple that you think, you know what, I don't deserve this. There may be a day as my disciple that you say, you know what, I don't like this anymore. There may be a day as my disciple that you say, it's too hard, it's too much, and it's too costly. There may be a day as my disciple that you say, Lord, I can't make it anymore. I can't make it anymore. And on that day, you remember this day. And on that day, dear disciple, you look to me, the greatest of all time, as he stands up and he walks to the cross of Calvary. We follow Jesus as slaves. I couldn't read over that and not hear the words of Paul and have this attitude in yourselves which also was in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave. The king as a slave, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He came as a slave. So you want to be the greatest, do you? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And I'm thankful for the truth of these verses that you recorded in your infinite wisdom, knowing that for these disciples and the disciples that would follow through the ages, that it would be tough, that it would be hard, it would be easier to be a servant with esteem. But you know that we're called to be slaves. And you know that when it's hard, when it's tough, that we look to the master. 
And so you give us these verses. You give us the example. Jesus, on the way to the cross, says, look to me. Look to me, dear disciple. Lord, I I pray for those in this room who've endeavored to commit all things to Christ, who've endeavored to live and to breathe for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you help empower us to exist as slaves, that you help encourage us to exist as bondservants, that our pride will be set down as we look to the king, the greatest of all time, as he stands and walks to a disgraceful cross. Lord, I pray as slaves of Christ that we would honor the name of our master. I pray that we would serve the cause of our master. I pray that we would heap glory upon our master. I pray that lost people will be saved. In Vernon, Texas, in this world, that lost people will be saved because of slaves. I pray that we would grow, that even this morning we've been shaped. We praise you and we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray now as we conclude this service, Lord, that you would, you would continue to speak. You would continue to stir. And I pray for some and maybe several in this room that do not have a relationship with Christ. That at this time, on this day, they would look to Jesus, the greatest. That in looking to Christ, they might be saved. Lord, I pray that you would move, that you would work, that you'd be glorified. We trust this to you. We submit it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.